Today's episode of Your Stories is brought to you by Field Notes. Field Notes brand, USA-made memo books and other products, including seasonal limited editions. Visit fieldnotesbrand.com or 400 North May in Chicago for more information. Thanks, Field Notes! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everyone, I'm Eric Garneau, and for the second week in a row, this is an episode of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories, recorded during our trip to the Denver Comic Con in June. Uh, this one actually comes straight from the con itself. This is audio of the panel we ran, called Producing Indie Board Games with the Nerdalogs. Uh, this episode tells the story of Fisticuffs, from its inception as an index card game in Kevin's brain to fulfilling our Kickstarter in December of last year. Um, this episode won't be for everyone, but it was a well-attended and well-received panel, and we thought it would be cool to document it for future reference. So any aspiring game designers out there, uh, maybe you can get something from this, or if you really like the Nerdalogs, you can learn more about our history. There's also, of course, funny jokes and bits, because that's what we do, ha ha ha. Um, but no, this is really cool to listen to. I didn't get to go to the Denver Comic Con, as I talked about last week, and I enjoyed the hell out of listening to this panel, so I think you'll like it too. Uh, friendly reminder that if you enjoy hearing about Fisticuffs, but you don't have your own copy, you can find a store that sells them, or buy one via the internet, at nerdalogs.com slash fisticuffs. Um, before we get to the panel, let's do some plugs. Our next live Your Stories is this Sunday, August 21st, 7 p.m. at the Sum Office Theater, 1917 North Elston in Chicago. The theme is Intrigue, and we're featuring a number of fantastic storytellers, including the creators of the illustrated novel Taylor Swift, Girl Detective. I believe copies of the book will also be available at the event to purchase, uh, which is pretty spiffy because they're basically fresh from the printers right now, so that's very cool. Um, thanks so much to our sponsor for this episode, Field Notes, and thanks, of course, to the Chicago Podcast Co-op for making that all happen. If you're a business and you want to be a part of a really cool thing and get advertising, which, like, I think advertising is good for businesses, I don't know, never studied business, I've just owned one, managed one, <laughs> we don't really advertise, so I guess I shouldn't talk, but anyway, um, go to chicagopodcastcoop.com for more info. Um, that is all that I have, friends, so enjoy this panel. Hey guys, 
we're the Nerdalogs. We're a sketch comedy group from Chicago. Uh, we started about six years ago, um, and so now we've we've broadened our scope to do a variety of different things: podcasts, live uh, live events, and shows. Uh, like we, if anybody here is from Denver, we just did a comedy show last night at the Voodoo Comedy Playhouse. Really cool little spot here in the city. Um, and then about a couple of years ago, we decided. Uh, we really wanted to expand our scope even more, and we broke out into games. So that's a, a brief, brief synopsis of sort of who we are and what we do right now. Yeah, yeah. a big mission statement statement for us as a sketch group has always been uh, bringing people together and making people laugh. Like trying to unite people under one roof and uh, make them laugh with stories and shows. And we realized that another really good way to have fun with people is make games. A lot of us in the group are huge gamers, video game, board game, puzzles, whatever. So it was like really just kind of a natural jump to make that the next step. Um, it all started with Kevin bringing a couple index cards to a retreat we took in Michigan. And, uh, it seems so far away. It does, yeah. It's a little over two years ago now. Yeah. Um, and they were all like swords and shields and stuff like that. And it was awesome and we had a blast doing it. And we just kind of kept iterating it from there and trying to find what was fun and what was clunky and what made the game go slower and what made it go faster until we kind of came to the spot where we were like, okay, I think it's done. <laughs> or it's at least close enough to being done to produce. Uh, so we got a little bit about into what it is we do. We have a monthly storytelling show that we do very regularly in Chicago. We also write a lot of sketches. We're all performers outside of just performing with the Nerdalogs as well. We do a lot of improv comedy. Um, so there's, there's a lot under this roof, and I think it definitely helped us to bring a bunch of different skills to the table when we were talking about making a game. Cool. So Joe got into it a little bit, uh, but do you guys kind of want to elaborate a little more on um, what Fisticuffs is and uh, how it came to be? Yeah. Uh, let's just see, see this whole talk a little bit for everybody as well. So we're, we're just going to talk about how to produce a, how we produce an independent board game. Here and um, this was really our journey. By no stretch of the imagination is this the only way or the way to do it. Yeah, um, it was the way we did it, and we thought maybe if we shared these lessons with people, they could learn a few things about that as well. So, cool. Yeah. Um, so, fisticuffs. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and raise your hand if you've heard of fisticuffs. Yeah. I love you guys. Thank you. Yeah, I don't even know that guy. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Um, <laughs> um, raise your hand if you've ever thought about making a board game. Raise your hand if you've ever put like pen to paper and like started that process. Raise your hand. Keep your hand raised if you've made multiple iterations of that game. Keep your hand raised if you've successfully published that game. Oh, <laughs> that, that's the last step that the, there is. I mean, like, the only difference between us being up here and you guys being down there is just doing that last part. Um, so, yeah, I guess let's, let's start from the beginning. So we started with this idea of, like, a fun, light multiplayer game. So the, the original name of the game was Bash, and like Bash. I said, it was swords and shields and amulets and potions and stuff like that. So it was very, like, medieval fantasy. Um, the idea was, like, a three-on-three -three battle um, where you had like equipment and stuff like that, and, and we had a ton of fun doing it. The funny thing is, the game that we ended up with looks almost nothing at all like the one that we started with, um, even though it's still very fun, and it, that's exactly where it came from. Um, like I said, we just tried to find the, the elements that were fun. Um, one of the most fun things that we wanted to, to include in games is 
being able to play at all times. Like, everyone loves when it's their turn. I hate when it's somebody else's turn. <laughs> so I'm like, just hurry up. I want to get to my turn. So we definitely wanted to keep an element of having like a free-for-all, having it at, at any moment you could play a card. So that was, I think, maybe one of the strongest themes that stuck with the game from beginning to end. Um, we made it from three-on-three three to a free-for-all, so it's like one-on-one-on-one-on-one, however many people you have. Or free-for-brawl, if you will. <laughs> if you will. Trademark. Patent-pending. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright. Um, yeah, and we, we just tried to figure out what made it fun. Um, so we took out some of the equipment because it was just adding math. It was like, oh, your attacks do plus damage, and then when I have this equipped, it does minus damage. And it's like, okay, grab a pen and paper. How much damage did I do to you? It's like, <laughs> that's fun for some people, but like, we wanted it to be like super streamlined. The, the idea, I think, what was really driving us the whole time was we wanted a game that either like serious gamers could play, maybe between games. Like, if you're having some weird marathon and you're like moving from like Pandemic Legacy to Arkham Horror, and you're like, you know. <laughs> Let's order some pizza and play this for 15 minutes. <laughs> um, or and, and a game that, like, I, I always pictured, like, a, a holiday meal, like a Thanksgiving meal where grandparent and grandchild could sit down and play the same game. Um, so it's not like, I mean, it's, it's a boxing game, so it is about punching people, but it's not, like, ultra-violent. There's no blood or, any, or, or sex or anything like that. So we just wanted something that people could pick up and play. Um, like I said, I think that was definitely one of the, the driving things that no matter what we changed about it, we wanted to keep that stuff kind of central to it. Um, Joe, Joe, you're the ultimate pitch man for the game, and I, uh, I think it's sort of fun to watch you go into this Super Saiyan mode of like giving the brief description of the game to people. Do you want to like get oh, into man. that zone? I don't know if I can do it on the spot, but yeah. Um, so let's imagine that I'm like, oh, hello. Uh, uh, what is this thing on this table that's in front of you? Uh, thanks for asking. This is Fisticuffs. It's a card game that we made uh, o- over about two years. We got it successfully funded on Kickstarter last year. It's a free-for-all boxing game for four to six players. <laughs> you could probably go down to three or up to eight, but it'll be really quick or really long. Um, <laughs> we, we recommend ages eight and up. As long as you can recognize colors and numbers, you're going to be good. Um, here are the eight characters that we have. I'm just, again, picture the game is laid out. <laughs> Uh, here are the eight characters we have. Uh, they all have unique powers. Some of them are, one of them is a robot, one of them is a gorilla, one of them is a kangaroo, one of them is a flapper, one of them is a statue come to life, kind of a Pygmalion situation. All within this crazy world of an alternate 1920s where Lord Baron Reginald Fiskuffington Smythe has developed a new super element called Hydroleum that he uses to fuel the largest airship the world has ever seen, on which he has gathered eight of the world's greatest fighters to fight in a tournament, the winner of which he will grant the greatest wish to. Um, so kind of like a t- little bit of a twisted metal situation there as well. Um, uh, you get punch cards in your hand. We have jabs, hooks, haymakers, stomps, spits, headbutts. So not they're, they're not all technically punches, but for the rules of the game, they are capital P punch cards. Um, you said this 300 times. Yeah. <laughs> I was losing my voice by the end of last night. Um, and then we had a comedy show. Um uh, yeah, the, you start with 12 life. The, the goal of the game is to punch your friends in the face before they punch you. Uh, if you knock your opponents down to zero health, you knock them out of the game. Um, it gets a little more... We, we got very simple mechanics, so it's all about colors and numbers and names. But a lot of the game... A lot of the intricacies of the game come in the special abilities and the politics of, like, look, I'll help you out, but you got to help me out the next two times I need help. So we call it Uno meets Hunger Games, because like even if you make an alliance and it's the last two of you only one of you can win I mean everyone wants to be Katniss but somebody's gotta be Rue you know so (laughs) R.I.P. 
That's so, always where it comes Yeah, in. <laughs> exactly. So, like, yeah, that's kind of the elevator pitch. And eventually when you start marketing your own game, you will say this in your sleep. <laughs> yeah, just be like, it's four to six players. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's I heard definitely... you last night going through it. <laughs> Very cool. I also love how hard the uh, board game jokes are hitting right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, um, oh, we, we found our people. <laughs> um, yeah. Cool. We can talk. So there's so when you take on making a game, I think one of the biggest things that you have to realize is there's so many separate facets to that game. You know, your seed of an idea and, you know, those guys who kept their hands raised through building that seed into kind of a different idea from where it started. That's that's the right one. You know, like that's you really have to just keep working at it. Um, but one of those seeds is, uh, or one of those facets is the art. Like, you can't just take a stack of index cards and write things on them, you know? We can't all be Cards Against Humanity and uh, put a bunch of words on cardstock and sell it to people. Uh, so, a, a, a memo... Yeah, wouldn't it be great if y'all could be? But one of the things we realized in the process was, you know, uh, we had a member of our group who's a fantastic artist, went to school for art, and uh, she may very well have put in the most pure hours on yep. the project of just, uh, you know, giving us concepts for characters and for what those actions looked like on our punch cards and everything. And it was so much back and forth. And she really worked her butt off for it. And uh, it's so cool to be able to... I know she's very self-deprecating about it, and it's just like, no, 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 like, let's not talk about it too much, but to us, it's like a miracle that any of it looks as good as it does, so uh, it's definitely something you have to take into account, and, and we really um, kind of got lucky that someone that we already loved working with and respected the opinion of and the abilities of was able to do that for us, so it's just one more aspect of the game. For sure. I, something that if we didn't have Claire as part of our group, I don't know how we would have tackled this. I mean, I guess we probably would have paid an artist to yeah. do this because it, it, when we got to the point where we were like designing what the characters look like and what the box was going to look like, we, we knew what game we had and we were very proud of the game and we thought it was a very fun game. But we knew that nobody was just going to buy a, a box with just markered like fisticuffs. <laughs> so you, you have to like f capture the essence of the game and find a way to at least catch some eyes or, or, or kind of capture what it is that you've built so somebody being introduced to it brand new can go like, oh, I, I get what you're going for. I'm willing to give you my hard-earned money for the, these pieces of cardboard. This is great. This is a good deal. I'm happy with this deal. These are just ideas on pieces of paper. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it is. So, yeah, that was definitely, um, yeah, big ups to Claire. Uh, cool. So... Um, as Joe said earlier, the, the birth of the game at that retreat was Kevin literally had taken some index cards, drawn stick figures on it, told us how to play the game. We played a few rounds, we changed the rules every time, and it was the first time we had ever playtested the game. And even in that first playtest, it still changed totally from when we sat down to when we got up. I mean, that was when we came up with the name Fisticuffs instead of like medieval. It was, Somebody in the group was like, what if it was 1920s boxing? Yeah. Cool. Good idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it definitely had a feel of Munchkin the first time we were playing it. And yeah. Like, I, I love fantasy, but it's like, there's a ton of sword and shield and magic fantasy things out there. So we just try to think what else isn't played out and like what can still capture the essence of this free-for-all fighting game. And we're like, yeah, old-timey boxing. 
What if we get some crazy ass characters in there? Yeah, like a kangaroo. Yeah, a kangaroo could box. <laughs> the rest was history. I always think of um, think of everything through a lens of experience. Um, and what type of experience do we want to have? What type of experience do we want the players to have? Uh, we come from a lot of live theater backgrounds, so that's really important to us and thinking in those terms of like, what, how are we all interacting in this moment together? And I think that's a really important part of games. And if you, and for me, I was thinking about as, as we designed it every step of the way, what, what, how are we maximizing that experience at every step? So, like, the art was such a huge part of that. Did you feel like it was a part of the whole thing? Yeah. Even, um, uh, so for the two of you that, that have played this game, you're already aware. For everyone else, I'll <laughs> explain it. Um, the way that we uh, used to keep track of life while we were uh, playtesting was with dice. We'd either use a D20 or a D12 or whatever life amount we were playing around with, but eventually realized, like, oh, man, we don't want to, like, package dice in this. What... what Everything's great when you're picturing the game that you want, and then when you start looking at the logistics of like printing and shipping and all of this stuff, you're like, oh shit, we gotta figure some stuff out. So like, we didn't want to do um, a die in the box. Um, so we luckily worked together with our artist Claire and and came up with a, com uh, a bunch of different ideas. But we ended up finding this other card that you slip underneath your character and then as you're taking damage, you move your character down, revealing how much health you have left. So like. That was such a huge, fun discovery that even surprised me as we were doing it. Um, when Claire finally showed us the, the, the last one that we landed on, I was just like, that is so cool! Like, I've never <laughs> seen that before. I was like losing my mind. Yeah, um, I mean, otherwise, it's like, you know, if you have a grid of 12 numbers, it's impossible for there to only be one. It was just like this, again, it's like one thing that you don't think that much about when you have the birth of an idea of a game, but when it comes down to the nitty gritty of it, it's one more thing that you have to take into account. Um, so I'm really glad that you uh, mentioned that in particular. Um, so uh, after we left, you know, once we got the, the basic uh, set of the game together, why don't you talk a little bit about what the place testing experience was like outside of the group? Because that is also so imperative, you know? Like, you and your buddy who you're working on this game with are going to know the ins and outs. You're going to know exactly how your game works because you've seen it in your head for who knows how long. But the real challenge comes to <laughs> convincing other people that this is a game that they want to play and helping them understand where, you know, the game board that's in your head, uh, so why don't you speak to that a little bit? I think we always, yeah, just to piggyback off of some of those ideas, as designers, you will make mental leaps, and you will fill in your own gaps in the gameplay and in what you've been doing, and you forget that at its most basic level, somebody has never picked this up, they've never touched it, they've never interacted with this thing before, and so every time someone knew, even still when we I was going to say, game, someone asked us a question yesterday, and we're like, oh... We've, no one's ever asked us that. Like, it, yeah. And we've been showing people this game for over a year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. hundreds of times. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we definitely had a core group of friends that we would hand it to every every couple weeks or something to be like, break this game. <laughs> Do whatever you can to find all of the loopholes. And sure enough, every time he's just like, oh yeah, I just figured out if I punch and then I block my own punch, I'm going to draw two cards every time and I'll just keep doing that until I draw the whole deck. And it's like, 
great, we'll put that in the rules that you can't do that. <laughs> thank, thank you for finding that. Because we, we knew that that was something that we didn't want the characters to be able to do, but we didn't write that down anywhere saying that you can't do that. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, playtesting was, I mean, definitely the bulk of this experience. Um, and yeah, kind of leaving your own bubble to, to bring this to other people is borderline traumatic like because you want to protect your baby so much and you have to like let it get beat up and let it get broke it's not a real baby um, for, for the record um, but, um, and sometimes you just get pieces of feedback that you are like oh I'm never going to use that but you're not going to tell that to the person you're just like oh thank you that's a great idea you're right we could make this racing instead of fighting you're totally right I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that down we, we'll consider that um, but when you're in your own bubble for so long, have you guys ever said a word so often that it loses all meaning? Or you like look at it like on a computer screen and you like, what when it happens to me is when I'm like looking at different fonts for that word. I'm like, oh, and by the fifth font, I'm just like, asparagus has no meaning to me anymore. I don't <laughs> That's what we ended up calling it. Me, uh, Chris, uh, my buddy Chris and I, uh, also uh, of the group, uh, we were kind of the two project leads for this, and so we were the ones who usually kind of hold up with like. Du- things duct taped to walls just, just like uh, Matthew McConaughey in season one of True Detective which is like what does it mean um, <laughs> time's a flat circle y'all um, <laughs> uh, and yeah when, like, when you leave and you present this to other people and yeah they, they don't see the same they don't fill in the gaps the same way that you do and you just see them do things and you're like oh that's not what I wanted you to do but you can totally do that within the rules of the game the way that we wrote the card you're totally allowed to do that um, so it was definitely a very trying experience. It was very emotionally draining to, to play test this game, to get some people in a room, buy them pizza, buy them beer, um, have them play two, three rounds, and then write down a couple pages of their feedback. And then you they leave, and you just look at it, and you're like, well, fuck me, this game is dumb, right? <laughs> like, there's nothing good. And then you, you kind of have to push through that, that, that feeling, that wall of like, nobody's ever going to play this. This is stupid. Um, and yeah, when you get through to the other side, you you get you you incorporate that feedback, you make it a little bit stronger, and then you you tear it down again the next time you get some people in a room. So it, it's definitely a, a very trial trial and error process that is, like I said, I think it took up the bulk of our of our development of the game. Something that, something that I took away from playtesting was. Um, Realizing how gracious you need to be to everyone who ever picks up something that you're in process with. You you have to be so kind and so loving because they're really taking something that is invaluable, which is time. They're giving you their time. Buying them pizza and beer is not a joke. Like if you want people to do this for you, like it's gonna if you get the right people, it'll be fun for them too. But man, like that's a labor of love. Someone's doing you a huge favor. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. um, something that I learned was to be ever curious about your own game and be willing to to hear things that you didn't want to hear about it, things that don't work about it. Um, because the moment that you get stuck in tunnel vision is the moment that you stop listening to how, what other people actually feel about this thing and feel about this experience that you're creating. Um, and so that is very, very difficult because you... In your brain, you have this idea of what you want to craft, and then people aren't getting that exact thing away. Like, they're not taking that away. And you're like, oh, no. Yeah. 
I'm not doing this right. <laughs> and, and at some point, you have to make a decision. Are you making a game for yourself, or are you making a game for other people? And by all means, if you're making a game for other people, make sure it's still a game that you like and that you enjoy and that you're proud of and that you can be a champion for. But you have to remember, like, oh, even though I think that this might be the most fun, everybody that who, the the 20 people who we've play tested with in the last two weeks have said that it's the other way. So it's like, <laughs> you know, we, we um, especially being comedy writers, we're used to like bringing jokes or ideas to the table and then nobody laugh and you go really I thought that was I thought that was funny and then you just <laughs> scratch it out and it, it's the that's just experience <laughs> yeah all my jokes land immediately <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll come up with a good idea someday um, but yeah you, you just have to kind of be brave and be strong and, and be willing to scratch out those ideas that that you are really really for even if if you think that it's not going to be what the general public wants like don't sell out don't like try to try to appeal to the mass like i'm so proud of this game and i'm so happy with every mechanic we have in it but there were definitely a couple things where i got very nitpicky on the wording and everyone in the group was just like nobody cares <laughs> nobody's going to care about that and i had to just kind of swallow my pride and go okay if if we're confident on that then i'm cool with that um which was definitely a a, a some hills for me to climb during the process. Yeah, um, to piggyback on both of those thoughts, uh, you know, along with buying people pizza and, and beer and listening to their ideas, you can't, it's, uh, you know, something that we thought about a lot uh, when we were coming here to do the panel was like, why us? You know, what made us a good candidate for making a game? And it's kind of goes along with what Joe's just speaking to as comedy writers. And as performers, you learn a lot about um, saying yes to things and being able to hear someone else say no and take that in. And uh, that's really hard. Like, as people, we just want, you know, acceptance and we want all of our ideas to be good. But, like, sometimes the best note you'll get is a negative one, you know? Like, because that's what helps you learn the most. Like, saying oh, this is good, it only gets you so far, but someone saying, hey, this is good, but it could be better if it were this, is way more constructive. So you have to be able to listen to people saying things like that. Um, and uh, that's definitely like a big tenet of, of improv comedy, is like if somebody brings an idea to the table and uh, you're not willing to listen to it and play along with it, your show goes nowhere. So the game process felt uh, you know, not dissimilar from that. Um, the other uh, thing I wanted to throw in was uh, Joe made a, a comment about um, losing the equipment cards because it was just like all this math involved in the game that we didn't need or want. Um, but another big kind of breakthrough in the playtesting process was realizing that without giving um, players characters, um, because it is a game about attacking and alliances and things like that and knocking people out, if you didn't put a character between the players, it made it feel a lot more personal. Yep. Like, uh, I'm gonna throw a punch at Joe is way different than if I say, I'm gonna throw a punch at the Congo Bongo, our boxing gorilla character, you know? <laughs> uh, so it, it really, um, you kinda have to take things like that into account too. The feel of what the game is as opposed to just the gameplay itself. Um, if it feels gross, it probably because there is an element of it that is, you know, maybe you need to look at it and, and come back to. 
Um, cool. So, once we had all this art and cards and we knew what the game looked like, we didn't have any money to make the game. <laughs> because I think, my, I think my mom sent me like 40 bucks. <laughs> what? I think my mom sent me like $40. So I was like, good luck. <laughs> Believe it or not, we are not full-time professional comedians. I know we seem like we could be. Uh, but we all have day jobs um, that pay rent and food and health insurance and don't provide the ability to bank a bunch of money to make a game. So, uh, or to get a game printed, I guess I should say. So I think the biggest place we started with was we knew we had to have a finished game when we were going into the Kickstarter process. I think that's just one of the most important lessons in Kickstarter is if you get your thing funded, you have to be able to pay it off. And if you don't have the game finished and you think, oh, it'll be fine, we'll get it together, you're wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you just are. Like you, you have to because there's so many logistical things that go along with actually launching and carrying out a successful Kickstarter that you are not going to want to also have to figure out how to finish your game during that process. I see a lot of knowing nods in the yeah, crowd. Probably from people who have funded things that just never came through. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and we did not want to be one of those. <laughs> if you have funded or paid into a Kickstarter and like never got the game or the thing or whatever it is. That's like yeah. 10 people out of, you know, this room, and that sucks. And you felt like <laughs> shit when that happened. And uh, no one will ever buy your game. No one will ever want to support you again if you do that. You, you, you fucked up. Like, you hey. have to be able... <laughs> There's kids. You effed up. There you go. Uh, you messed up, is that what people say? <laughs> it's hard to transition from a late-night comedy show. Yeah, sorry. 11 a.m., sorry. <laughs> uh... You have to be able to do that. You have to have people on your side. There's no reason that anyone should know who we are. Somewhere on the game box, it says, um, this comes to spy the Nerdlogs, a group of people who you don't know, but you could totally be friends with. <laughs> <laughs> We're aware. We're aware of who we are. <laughs> if nothing else, we have probably too much self-awareness. <laughs> um Cool, so I just wanted to get that out up top, um, but do you guys want to speak to the Kickstarter process outside of that, which I think is the biggest like token takeaway from it? It, it may have been the most nerve-wracking part of the whole process. Before, I mean, even, it, more than coming up with the idea, more than playtesting, more than killing the ideas that you liked, because at this point it was like out of our control. We just, you know, we set something on on the tracks. We pressed go, and we had to wait and see if it crossed the finish line. And thank goodness it did. <laughs> um, I think a majority of our funding, a vast majority of our funding, came in the first and last forty eight hours of our thirty one day campaign. And that that is not uncommon for any Kickstarter that's out there. You'll get, you know, thirty percent in your on the first day. And then 60% on the last day. So the next time I do, if and when the next time we do this, I would definitely consider a shorter campaign just to close that window a little bit more. Because the middle time when it's like, oh, nobody's doing this. Nobody's been giving us money. This is never going to happen. Why did we waste a year and a half on this? Um, that's just what I thought when I was going to bed it every night. Um, <laughs> no worries. I think Chris and Joe definitely kept themselves up at night. Maybe a little Kevin too. Oh, but very much. Those two guys for sure, just like every time I saw them during the month of the Kickstarter, it was like you could tell there was this underlying anxiety that just like 
was different from their normal ever-present anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I had my, my mobile browser open to the Kickstarter page, and even at work, like every 10, 15 minutes, I'd refresh. i be like, why is nobody doing this? Why is nobody giving us more money? I was like, who's going to give us money? <laughs> that, that's the other side of that coin is like, is like um, the imposter syndrome of like, oh, oh well, yeah. yeah, this this is stupid. Nobody wants to do this, which is is really a, a self defeatist way of looking at it. But it's really hard to avoid. <laughs> this is turning into therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. You know, I think it all goes back to my childhood. Um, uh, tell us more about uh, your relationship with your parents. Their customers in the lobby. Um. Uh, oh, so I, I equated it to um, selling Girl Scout cookies. That's what the Kickstarter process felt like to me. It was like you need to convince people to buy a thing that does not exist yet, and you don't have it yet. <laughs> so it's it's a promise. You're making a promise to these people, and you really need to make make good on those promises. And we definitely had a head start, but Being Girl Scout cookies are tasty. Yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah, you know you like Samoas. No one knows they like Vistica. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Comes with or without coconut. Um, uh, we got really lucky by having a head start of being a, a, an established comedy group for like five years by the time that we were launching the Kickstarter. So yeah. we had, you know, Twitter followers and a Facebook page with like a thousand, twelve hundred likes, whatever. So we, we it it really benefited us to have a built-in audience that we could immediately present it to to be like hey you you guys know us you guys like what we do if you do trust us that you might like this too and please help us out um so i i would definitely encourage for anybody who who's considering doing this figure out a way to be active to actively um market that which sounds gross, I guess, in using those words. But like, I, I'm not. I know there are people who do, but I'm not the kind of person who just like goes on Kickstarter and be like, "Oh, what am I gonna fund today? Let me look at the board game section. <laughs> this looks great. I'll give them money." Well, um, for real, God bless those people. Yes, and there, probably some of you in the house, like, God bless those. Thank people. God there are, but th there aren't enough of that to fund your game. There's enough to to maybe help you get started or to get you over the hump at the end, but. Uh, especially if you get really close to it, I know like Kickstarter can highlight the things that's like ninety percent funded, you know, whatever. But l definitely look for opportunities that you can get people who you know and and people who you know like what you do to take a look at that and see if it's also for them. That, that was a great head start for yeah, us. Yeah, I, I think I could spend two hours talking about Kickstarter and the Kickstarter process and what works and what doesn't work well. Um, but really, at the end of the day, it. You know, we were talking about it last night at the show um, that I think there was a golden age of Kickstarter, especially for board games, when anybody with a half-baked idea could put their game up on Kickstarter and it would get funded by 500% because there was a new active community of people who were really interested in funding indie board games and they were willing to take risks. Um, and I think the, that landscape has really, really changed for a lot of people in that having an active community and having people that you already know and have established a base of, of people who care about you and care about your work um, is really, really valuable. So something to keep in mind when you are going out and, and putting on events or putting on game nights or anything like that is really, really work to have personal relationships with everybody that, that comes through and, and, and uh, interacts with whatever that thing that you make is. 
um, grabbing your email address, it always feels a little sticky and crunchy uh, to be like, hey, your email address, blah, 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 blah. But um, it, you want to have a personal relationship with everybody that comes through. Because you can send them a, a personal thank you after playtesting your game. You know, hey, thanks again for coming out last night, blah, blah, blah. And then when you actually do the Kickstarter, you can send a follow-up to be like, hey, that thing that you helped us make, it's, it's real or it's very close to being real and it can be real with your help. Um, I think the other thing that I didn't anticipate before we did the Kickstarter was figuring out exactly how much money we were going to need. Because it's like <laughs> not just the printing, it's also the shipping, and then it's also the Kickstarter fees, and it's all of this stuff, and oh, it's not a fun part uh, of the process. But <laughs> it, it's, it's very make, necessary. Yeah, yeah. Make a spreadsheet, figure out how much your game is going to cost to make if you get X number of copies, and... That's all we did, man, was I, just run. We spent like two or three meetings at least, almost in their entirety, just trying to crunch numbers. Like in a vacuum, I'm pretty sure I think we needed like $6,500 to print the game. And then it would still be in the printer's warehouse. We, we ended up setting <laughs> yeah. the goal at, at $10,000 because uh, Kickstarter takes like 10% of it as yeah. well, which, you know, thanks for helping us, Kickstarter. Um, so, yeah, there, there was definitely so much overhead on top of what you think you're going to need that make sure you don't set that bar at that first number and then as you're looking at everything going yes we made it 65 oh no where am i going to come up with this other three thousand dollars yeah. <laughs> yeah hey mom <laughs> um um mom, pause yeah uh, and the other thing is, uh, sorry, just real quick. Um, during that month of turmoil, I had to come to peace with the fact that if we didn't meet our goal, that meant that there wasn't enough people who wanted our game to make it a viable product. And that was something that I was, I was learning to swallow. I was hoping it wasn't the case, but I was like, yeah, if we're, if we're going to sit at $7,000 you know, when the clock strikes zero, we're not going to get funded. And that's okay. That just means that I've made a game that me and my friends like to play, but there aren't enough people out there who are going to want to play this too. Tell us more about your relationship with the Ontario. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one summer. Uh, yeah, I think, I, think, um, I think we did a, a decent job covering... Uh, and keep in mind, Kickstarter is not the only way to fund a game or yeah, get, a, sure. get a thing made. Um, that was what we needed. I mean, there are people who can go out and they can pitch games to big board game companies, and they'll they'll seed your ideas. That's uh, still a way maybe to you do have it. some sort of trust fund. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna spend this all of my all of my money on making games. <laughs> uh, Win the lottery. What do you think was the best discovery of this entire experience? Uh, it can be broad, personal, or game-related, and uh, how do you think that was um, ultimately unearthed? Uh, time and time again, so we're, we're in a, a group of, of creators together, and we're all sort of artists and creatives in our own way, and I think we, we all moved to one city, Chicago, to sort of pursue those types of goals and dreams together. And we really developed a loving, caring room of people who really champion each other's ideas. And I can't stress enough how important that's been for me and every time we take on a new project or a new idea, that there's so much love and support in the room um, that people continue to believe in each other and their ideas. And um, finding the people that you want to work with and knowing how to work with them, I think I'm always delighted to learn that again and again about these, these people that are up here with me. Um, 
I don't know, kind of selfishly, I think there was a, definitely a sense of validation through the whole process. Um, being performers, usually the product that we make is this very non-tangible, you know, one-time experience that a connection we have with the audience, and then we all go our separate ways. And all I have are memories of that. Um, this was the, one of the first things that I ever made, that it was a, a tangible product that I could give to people, that people could buy, that people would give us money for, um, and that people had fun with, that, that when I introduced it to people, when we played sample rounds, which we've had the opportunity to do yesterday, and we're going to do it today um, and tomorrow, um, there's just this sense of, of accomplishment, of, of seeing it through that is really cool. I, I've, I, I am not a parent. I hope to be one day. This is, no joke, like no exaggeration, this is the closest I've ever felt to producing a thing and being proud of it and having, uh, saying, everyone look at this thing that I made. <laughs> Part of me is in this. It's great. It is really weird watching you take uh, copies of the game out on strollers for long walks. And then <laughs> well, that's because my carrier hasn't come in yet. I want to get one of those papooses. Um, but it's it's so cool, and it's still really weird to like look at my game. It has a UPC on it. <laughs> like the, people can scan this at our register, and I helped make it. This is weird, and so wonderful. You are a proud dad. I am. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. I you know those that uh, those are I think my two favorite things that came out of the process as well. Like. I think we've always worked well together as a group because we all have different strengths and weaknesses. Joe's incredible at pitching this game and teaching it to people. Kevin is incredible at getting people in a room. He was the idea guy. It was his idea. It was birthed out of his brain. And he, you know, is so good at, you know, keeping those emails in the in the queue and making sure people feel like a part of something. And uh, I'm really good at being like, hey guys, you're all doing great. Um, does anyone want some pizza? Invaluable. <laughs> uh, this, this process is definitely a marathon. And luckily with, with our group and, and a group of people that we trust and we know how to work with, we turned it into a relay race instead of just going 26.2 by ourselves. That's a really, really good analogy. So if you can, support yourself with people that you trust and that you know, and people who are going to challenge you too, not just people who are going to just be like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah we should totally make it a thousand cards. Yeah. That's like, brilliant. Invite that one friend that you don't like playing games with because <laughs> they're kind of a like rules are or a jerk about stuff. Like even if you don't like having him or her around all the time, invite them to play it at least once because I guarantee they will tell you something that you don't want to hear but you probably needed to. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, and, and yeah, opening that first box that we got of a hundred games, uh, like and seeing it real for the first time was. An indescribable moment. Like, yeah. it was so cool that it, and, and the box was like in where we were rehearsing and we didn't know. It's like this whole thing. <laughs> we all ran and opened it together. It was just like a very, very cool moment. Um, cool. Uh, the only other thing I was going to ask before we open it up to the audience was uh, this question sucks, but it's a real thing to consider because getting over the biggest regret or failure is a huge step in making something or making another thing. Do you guys have any major regrets in the process? Or things that you feel like we could have done better? I think we could have written the rules better. Um, that, <laughs> just like figuring out the money on top of the printing cost, like all of this extra BS that you didn't anticipate, writing rules in a really comprehensible way is a huge challenge. When you're talking to somebody face-to-face -face and you can explain it, you can manipulate the cards and you can answer those questions in real time, it's totally different from trying to create a comprehensive uh, 
a total outline of every corner case you can think of that explains everything from dealing the cards to shuffling the discard pile back into the deck, which is one of the things that we lost. That's probably one of my biggest regrets because we have a, a special action card that's like, oh, pull a card from your discard pile and then play it. Um, and most games, when your deck runs out, you just shuffle the whole discard pile in. I had always intended a rule to be like, oh, when the deck runs out, keep the top five cards from the discard pile in the discard pile and shuffle the rest into the deck. That way, if you draw that card, you still have something to go get. And that didn't make it into the rules. And it's, it's on our FAQs on the website. Just like little stuff like that. I, I'm, I think the mechanics of the game are great, but there's a bunch of just little, uh, not a bunch, but there are a couple little balls that I think fell through the gaps. Nothing major, nothing that breaks the game, but like... I wish that I had a finer tooth comb before we sealed it all up and said, yes, this is everything we need. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's why he's the idea, no man. <laughs> learn, learn from him and move on, you know. <laughs> um, any questions that we might be able to field for you guys? Uh, up here in front first. You said you used the pre-existing uh, audience picture game, was there ever any concern that, okay, they might not like the game and it's going to affect mm. people watching you as comedy? That never crossed my mind. <laughs> That's a, I, it maybe should have. Um, but we, um, what we do with the storytelling events and even when we have comedy shows in, in Chicago, like the comedy community is a pretty close-knit community. Um, and, and we definitely had like a group of fans who became friends. Um, and we had had some really close personal relationships with the people that most of the people that we were communicating with. So I think the for me it was like, hey, if you like us, here's this other thing we're working on. You may like it, you may not. I, I didn't worry about it having an adverse effect on them, like being like, oh, this game looks stupid. I'm not coming anymore to their shows <laughs> or anything like that. But that that I've may never considered that either. Maybe it's just like ego and our own ability as performers. Maybe. People will still love us even if our game sucks. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know what? I was I was willing to risk it. If we lost a couple fans to, for our shows, but were able to successfully make this game, I think that, that would have been a pretty fair trade-off. Because with uh, this game, we've had the opportunity to do really cool things like come out here. Uh, we've been to Seattle. We've been to uh, Milwaukee, St. Louis, Pittsburgh. So, you know, all the hotspots. And Indy. And Indy, yeah. But for real, like, uh, it's, it's given us a really great opportunity to really get around and meet people and, and, and get this game in front of people because it was made. And so I think, I think the risks were worth it. Everything you do, everything you create, you're going to ostracize someone and you didn't even realize it with that thing you make. So there's always per, a, like perpetual fall off regardless of what the idea is. You know, it's, it's hard, but it's, it's a truth. Up here. I'm not totally familiar with Kickstarter, but I assume that you guys gave a copy of the game to all the investors. Okay. Yeah, so the, that's a really good question. Were there, were there enough left over that this thing is self-sustainable for another printing? Is it profitable? Awesome Why? question. That was another thing that we had to build in with the cost of how much money we were asking for. Um, look, uh, uh, we we built different levels that you could contribute at. So at, at you can give any amount on Kickstarter. So you can you can just choose the amount of money you want to put in. But we said if you give five dollars, we're going to give you a digital copy, print and play. If you give twenty dollars, we will mail you a copy. Um, and, and that was it. And you know, as you guys who are familiar with Kickstarter know, you can have all these levels, all these perks. T-shirts that say fisticuffs on them, 
it's a money suck, man. If you want to get your game made and put it in people's hands, make that the only thing that you give people. That's from our perspective. Anyway. Totally. Um, I, I think it would have been cool if we had one more level of like three for 50 or something like that. Yeah. Just because I think there are people who are going to see that and be just easily click that box instead of figuring out like, oh, I do want to give them more money. Um, but yeah, luckily, that, that was the very first thing we did once we got the, the full shipment. We, we got a small test shipment that we had, which wasn't enough to back everybody. So we just kind of kept that one for ourselves to make sure it was... The, the cardstock that we wanted, everything. And then once we got the first big shipment, we turned around and, and sent that out to, to everybody who did support us. And it was how many backers? 598. <laughs> <laughs> but and who's counting? You, you build in enough to make sure that you have extra copies of the game that you can sell afterward. Okay. Yeah. That's a no, good okay. business model. <laughs> I think it's doing well. Yeah. It's, it's doing well. It, we're perpetually, it's, it's sort of like uh, it, it's like anything ever. It's sort of like a religion. You need to get out there and you need to preach the gospel of the game <laughs> to people. So you're constantly getting new people to play. It doesn't sell itself. <laughs> it, really, I mean, we have to sell it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, you can buy it on our website. <laughs> like, I don't want to. I don't want to overplay our hand here. But how many <laughs> online orders have we had in the last couple weeks? Quite a few. Great. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of your question? So, yeah, I, think, I, I think the other question that was built in, did you do this just as a labor of love to get this published and into people's hands, or were you thinking about turning it into something that would be profitable that self-sustained? We've done improv comedy for more than half a decade. We're used to doing things for not a profit. <laughs> so, I mean, in an ideal world, both of those things for sure. fun and profit. But uh, in our world, it was mostly the former. It was mostly a labor of love, figuring out how this worked, what this particular game looked like, getting better and making a game so that the next time we do it, we really put more effort into making it, you know, our own. Like, what, you know, we actually got really good advice from a friend of ours who said, like, this is a great game, but what game could only the Nerdlogs make? So that's kind of our, our next step is looking at, like, what our skills are as performers and uh, seeing what that looks like. We've only got a couple minutes left. Let's do like lightning round. I think Zatanna had her hand yeah, up originally. A few, yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot since. Yeah. Any anybody talking about your thing is a good thing. So I mean, probably. One in ten, two in ten, actually That's got back to us or something like that. But so you really have to send it out to a lot to get people to, to take it and put you know a video up on YouTube or a tweet or whatever it is. You really have to send out a lot, but it helps. Yeah. This guy right here. Do you do any like uh, paid marketing, like paid ads, anything like that to market your product? No. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it's just a, a sort of a balancing point of is is it worth it? Do we think it's going to sell the games, or is our time, which we quote unquote have infinity of, more worth it than the fifty dollars that we would spend on a Facebook ad? Facebook ads suck. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I'm not sure if you already talked about the game, but what actually is Misty Coast? 
Your Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy your stories, you might also like Improvised Star Trek. Improvised Star Trek is an improvised parody of Star Trek featuring the adventures of the crew of the USS Sisyphus, a slightly less enterprising starship. For more information, visit theimprovisedstartrek.com. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.